Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 284 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Happy Thursday if you're listening live when we release this. And uh, well, some of you will be listening years from now. That's how podcasts work, right? But here's what we're committed to doing, creating a leadership vault for you, a library of conversations I hope can really help elevate your game, lead like never before. And uh, I love bringing you conversations like today's. This is someone that you may not have heard of unless you're in the bakery business, but it's somebody I met through our last guest, uh, who is Lee Kreitcher, and his name is Mark Sorello. He owns a bakery, and we go into his whole story, and he has basically changed the game on how to do bakeries. In fact, he just opened up, I think I think it's like 18,000 square feet, this 18,000 square foot bakery. Just imagine that for a moment. Like bakeries are never that size. And he broke all the rules about like, how do you get fresh baked goods there all day long? See, in the baking industry, what happens is if you get there at 7 a.m., you get an infinite selection. You get there at three o'clock in the afternoon, good luck. Here's the two stale things left. He changed that and became more profitable at the same time. You could say he disrupted how bakeries were done, has won national awards, has national recognition. I mean, they're worth a follow on Instagram, the Oakmont Bakery. And he did this all uh, like food, like bakeries that that people line up to get in, in a town of 6,000 people. It's crazy. You're going to love this story. I absolutely loved it. And he's a fantastic interview. So, so glad you're joining us today. And want to talk to you a little bit about what you're doing with health insurance, because I know a lot of you are decision makers in organizations. And have you ever looked at health insurance, uh, a summary of your benefits for your faith organization and had like no idea what you're reading? Uh, yeah, all the time. Okay, I used to be a lawyer. I get it. That's why we write stuff like that. So nobody understands what's going on. Well, health benefits can be confusing and trying to understand the coverage as you're getting ready for the cost can feel a lot like learning another language. Well, what if you had an expert, someone who would come alongside you, not only to help you understand what's being offered because maybe you're missing stuff, but also help you save money, like cost-saving solutions. That is what Remodel Health is. That's exactly what they do. As a benefits platform that cares for your team, they use innovative technology, because a lot of people don't, but they do, to learn of insurance, tax, and ministry experts to come alongside you to help you discover a benefit solution that meets the unique needs of your staff. So get this, by switching organizations from traditional group insurance to individual plans for each employee, Remodel Health has seen significant savings for both organizations and their teams. And they've been able to help churches and nonprofits so far across the country save $7.2 million. Some of that could be yours. In the last five months alone, churches who have heard about Remodel Health through this podcast have stewarded $625,000 back into their ministries. That's right, yeah. So anybody who just listened to this podcast, savings are already over half a million dollars. That's savings. Isn't that crazy? Remodel recognizes the intrinsic value of keeping healthcare costs sustainable without sacrificing the level of care you provide your staff. So if you want to learn more, and why wouldn't you, visit remodelhealth.com forward slash carry, C-A-R-E-Y. Today, you'll get a free demo of their software and a free quote, and you can start saving money. That's remodelhealth.com forward slash carry. 
And uh, speaking of the people you care about in your church or organization, what about volunteer training? Ministry Grid has made it so simple. We use them at Connexus. I'm actually producing some content for them this month that will show up in their library which now has over 3,500 videos and 800 courses. So you can train like volunteers, ministry directors, just about anybody you need to train and they make it easy. It's all phone-based, app-based, digitized. If you want to take advantage of an incredible deal that they're offering, here's what they're doing, okay? I'm working on some exclusive courses, but if you purchase a subscription in the month of August, you get a copy of my latest book, Didn't See It Coming, as a bonus offer on top of a rare price of just $399 a year. That's for your entire church, but you got to lock it in this August. If you want to take advantage of this deal, just go to ministrygrid.com forward slash carry. You can get unlimited training for $399 for your entire church, plus a copy of Didn't See It Coming. And once again, that's ministrygrid.com forward slash carry. And with all of that said, and thank you so much for continuing to support our partners. They really make a difference. They're people that we believe in, and we know that they're helping you accomplish your mission, which is uh, what's so fun about all that. But without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Oakmont Bakery founder, Mark Sorreo. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Gary. Great to be here. Yeah, so here we are in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, or more specifically, Oakmont. You've got, is it one of the largest retail bakeries in the world? Or in the, in America, I should say? Um, I believe so. I mean, yeah. so we're retail only, and we're right. definitely among the largest retail only bakeries in the country. Mm-hmm. And a bit legendary. Yes. Like, like, it's a destination. You go to the Oakmont Bakery, and you've been in business for how many years? We've been in business for 32 years. Yep. And wow. we actually now have... Um, we have some tour buses that come regularly to the bakery. And um, I think that we're really, you know, getting to that place where we are a destination in Pittsburgh, which was one of my goals, you know, to be that. Isn't that fascinating? It yeah, is. A goal more recently or like <laughs> no. when you were 32 years ago, it's like, I want to be a destination. Probably every year I would come up with a goal that uh-huh. I really wanted to work towards. And about 12 years ago, that was my goal that year was um, I wanted to become a Pittsburgh destination. In other words, if you're in Pittsburgh, you have have to go to the Oakmont Bakery. Right. Wow. And, I mean, creative name, you're in Oakmont, Pennsylvania, right? (laughs) But it is a bit of a legend. I remember the first time I started coming to Pittsburgh, and I've been here a few times, everybody has said, you got to go to the Oakmont Bakery. (laughs) Like, you you can't leave here without going. And it's a bit of a jaunt, isn't it? Yes. Like, it's not near the airport, so location wasn't really working for you right. or anything like that. I want to go back because you and I have spent a good couple hours already today. I toured your brand new plant, which we'll talk about, or your store, really. 18,000 square feet of bakery. Right. Think about that for a minute. That's a lot of bakery. Yep. Um, but how did you know you wanted to get into the bakery business? Um, so I grew up, my dad was a contractor and he was an entrepreneur. And I was always interested in, I, I, I felt that entrepreneurship was in my blood but not contracting. <laughs> so I worked with my, I worked with him for a few years and it just wasn't my thing, you know. He knew it and I knew it. Um, and so he, when I, I talked to him one day and I just said, dad, this isn't what I want to do. And he was like, I want you to be happy doing whatever you want to do. So I was about, I think maybe 13 or 14. And I um, started working in a donut shop that I walked to from my home a couple miles away. And um, as a maintenance or a, or a clean, we called them cleaning boys then. And um, so I would wash dishes and take care of the floors. And, um, and that's how I got into that. But then I, I 
you know, within about a year, I started, you know, helping the bakers. I became a baker and um, I ended up managing the shop. And um, my wife and I were dating in high school. Uh, we got married right out of high school. And then I, I took a job as a manager in a local grocery store supermarket. Shortly after that, I was working in three supermarket bakeries to make ends meet. And then my bakery, which is in Oakmont, it's a very small town outside of Pittsburgh. A guy opened it. It was about a thousand square feet and he was 40 years old. It was, the bakery was open for seven days, seven or eight days. And he had a massive heart attack and died one night. No way. Yeah. So brand new store. Brand new. Like Now, if I were opening the bakery, I would have bought all used equipment. You know, I wouldn't have been able to afford exactly what he did because he was already an entrepreneur. He owned a bunch of Hallmark shops. And um, so his family actually made it possible for me. They held the mortgage and I bought the bakery and it was already closed for, you know, it was only open for eight days and then it was closed for about a year, I think. So there was no business there. Just the, it was a really nice, quaint little bake shop in a little town. So it, I opened it and it, it, it became busy pretty quickly. Like there was never a time that I thought, is this going to work out? You know, it was really pretty quick. When you were 14 or whatever you were, did you go to the local donut shop just because that was within walking distance yeah. or was there something? So it wasn't, it could have been, um, you know, a, a, a car detailing place. It could have been Correct. a whatever, but it's like, well, I can walk there from my house and then you learn to trade, yep. so to speak. Yeah, I was always, even as a young boy, I was always starting lemonade stands or whatever I could do to make a, to make a dollar. I, I just liked coming up with a vision and then working it out. I was a hard worker, you know? And um, so when I started working at the donut shop, they're the only people probably that would have hired me. Yeah. That's why I ended up there. Right. And, um, and I really, I, I really took it over pretty quickly. Now, what do you think that was? What, what made you, well, yeah. I mean, honestly, um, you know, looking at leadership stuff, the owner of the donut shop, um, he kind of took me under his wing and he allowed me to do things that, probably most business owners wouldn't allow a young guy to do. But I think he saw something in me, you know, maybe something in, maybe it was the way he was when he was younger or whatever. But, you know, I was very eager to learn anything I could learn. I would work as many hours, like I used to do my cleaning jobs and then I would work with him afterwards just for fun, you know. And um, so he really spoke into my life. He taught me a lot about, um, a lot about entrepreneurship, about, you know, vision about, you know, um, teaching people, you know, to like being a leader. And um, so he was really, really instrumental in that part of my life for sure. That's kind of a neat start. And then you went into, um, I guess, just your life situation changed. So you ended up working at, you said three supermarkets? Yeah. So I started- How, how did work that work? Yeah. So I worked at, well, I worked at one supermarket, which is Giant Eagle. It's a big chain in Pittsburgh. And um, I was a um, considered kind of like a merchandiser where I would set up all the cases and I, I did a little bit of baking. I did a little bit of everything. And then I worked at another supermarket. I was their bakery manager, um, which they just started. They just put a new bakery. And so they let me pick all the equipment and design the way it was going to, everything was going to be set up and all that. I was doing that full time. Um, so I actually was working, you know, at Foodland full-time, Giant Eagle about six hours a day, five days a week. And then I was working in Oakmont at a small um, gourmet shop where they would like kind of cater to smaller parties and high-end areas all around Pittsburgh. And I would do all the desserts for that. And I would cater on the weekends with them. So 
Wait, you so you had a full time job plus you worked somewhere else six hours a day plus then you had a weekend yeah, job. I did. So how old were you at so the time? I was at that time. It was my wife and I just got married. She was pregnant with our first child, and I was probably about twenty. No way. Yeah. So you're working literally eighteen hours a day. Yep, yeah, seven days a week. Man, oh man, was that just you or what? What drove you that way? I mean, I, I really wanted my wife, you know, we got married about a year and a half later. She got pregnant and I really wanted her to be able to stay home with our child. It was just something I felt um, and she wanted to do it too. So I knew I was going to, so I was trying to save up money for that to be, we, we bought a house. I wanted to save up some money so that she didn't feel pressured to go back to work. And, uh, and we did do that for, for, you know, pr probably about four or five years. Wow. Until I bought the bakery. Okay. And we're going to talk about your marriage, your personal life, your relationship with the church and everything like that in a little bit. But let's go then back to Oakmont. So you have this opportunity and basically you bought the equipment and the location rather yeah. than the business. Because right. a year no later business. after this poor guy died yep. at 4041, there's no business left. There's no customers. There's no right. clientele, no reputation. So you get an in on equipment and gear and you said it started to fill up very quickly. What, what happened? Well, so um, when I, I was working at Foodland, which is another supermarket chain at the time, and I met a guy who knew the, who knew the owners of the bakery, the, the guy died. They knew, they, they were friends with his brother. And he was saying to me, you know, you should be really, this was a produce manager. I was a bakery manager. Mm -hmm. And he would say, you, you should have your own shop. He said, I want you to check out this place in Oakmont, which was very close to where I lived, like 15 minutes away. And um, so I didn't really see how that would be possible for me to come up with a down payment. And, you know, um, even though I, I was dying to do it. And um, so I met the family. You know, I, he, I went down there one day, I met the family. Again, I think God put people in my life in, in really interesting ways. Like this family really liked me as soon as they met me and they wanted to make it work. So they actually held the mortgage. They agreed to hold the mortgage very quickly within probably a couple of weeks. Wow. We, we got this all together. I went and talked to my boss at the um, supermarket who was very understanding. And um, so, you know, in the bakery world, it was growing up, um, the bakeries would all, you know, these little mom and pop shops, you would have retail and wholesale. Retail right. was great, you know, but there usually wasn't enough to pay all the bills. So you would have wholesale. We would like supply supermarkets or stop and go kind of uh, convenience stores, things so like that. So you would like bake all the loaves of bread or whatever right. it would or be for your donuts commercial or whatever. Donuts, okay. Yep. So I did that, of course. I opened up the front of the store, which was very small. And then I was supplying the grocery store that I used to work with, with their decorated cakes and cupcakes and all that. And um, I was doing that. I was working my butt off. It was very hard. And I remember, you know, thinking, you know, we, were, we started out, it was a decent, you know, we, we did a decent business. And then very quickly, the business would start, we closed at seven o'clock. And so I learned that, um, you know, growing up that you would make enough product so that you would sell out by the end of the day, which was seven. So, you know, we did that, we'd sell out, six o'clock would come, we were out of product. And I thought that was good. That's how it's supposed to right, be. Right, right. Because what do you do with all that product, right? right? You got to empty the store. Otherwise it's day old and you're right. losing money on it. And supposedly that's the profitable way to run a bakery. That was, a, that was what I've always understood. After a while, we we were running out of product at six and then five. And then I started thinking, I should just do more more wholesale and close the store earlier. You know, it just seemed to be the way to make money. Right, get rid of the retail yep. and just bake around the and clock for on, wholesale. Oh, yep. And, um, but I, I really liked the retail. I loved the, interacting with the customers, 
You know, I like being in the front of the store. I like looking at my display cases filled. So I remember, so one day I thought, I've got to try this, even though I was afraid that it might be the end of the bakery. And I decided that we, I was going to drop all the wholesale, which was now about 60% of the business, and focus 100% on retail and bake all day, even, even close towards the end of the day. So that when people come in, they know that they're always coming into fresh product instead of the empty shelves at the end of the day. Well, okay, I want to stop and I, I want to make sure leaders heard what you just said because you took the most profitable part of your business, which was 60% of your revenue and probably a good chunk of your profit. Yeah. You said, we're not going to do that anymore. And then not only did you focus on retail, but you changed the business model, which my understanding, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to do this interview, is nobody was doing that, Right. Like you show up at a bakery at three o'clock in the afternoon, there's three jelly donuts left. Most of the loaves of bread are gone. And while we got this plain white bread and then it's like, was this baked today? Yeah, it was baked at 3 a.m., you know? So, Correct. but you're, you're dealing with leftovers. You don't have selection. You can't get it. And your philosophy was stock the shelves stock completely. Stock it high and watch it fly. That's what, we what did you stock it high, stock watch, it high it and watch it fly? <laughs> That's funny. And you were how old when you did this? So I was about probably 26. 26. So, and did you know anybody else that was doing this? No, I, I, I didn't. And the people that I did know thought, I was, thought it was crazy to do that. Like I was, really? you know, I was always friends with some bakery owners and even, you know, like head bakers in different locations. It just isn't really the, it, it wasn't the way the bakeries did things. So why did you so, have that idea? Well, because I knew why people weren't coming in because, you know, you know, everyone knows when you walk into a bakery at the end of the day and you see all the empty shelves and one thing on a pan, it's just not appealing. Yeah. But from the business standpoint, um, we always believe that if you sell out, you're, that's how you make, your pro you make your highest profit by selling out a product. If you throw things away right. or give it away, obviously you're not making money on it. But in my mind, I started thinking, and I think, honestly, I think when you're younger, um, or like when I was younger, I, those, it didn't seem that scary to me. Right. You know, it really didn't. It, it felt like this makes sense. I'm going to do it. It's like jumping yeah. out of an airplane. Yeah. Right? It seems a lot more <laughs> yeah. sensible when you're 22 yeah. than when you're 52. Yeah. yeah. You, know, you haven't, you haven't hit hard that many times yeah. yet. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So you just thought that it made sense that the customer who shows up at, uh, you know, 3 PM yes, has the freshest product, not just a fresh product, but the freshest, you know, that was the idea. Like I thought, People come in at six in the morning and they know they're getting stuff right out of the ovens. Right. How about people that come in at three o'clock knowing that, you know? Well, and it really worked. I mean, it, it, you know, it was, it was scary for a little while. It took a few months to catch on, but we noticed that we were getting way busier in the afternoon. So what used to be our busiest time of the day was around maybe nine or 10 o'clock turned into three and four o'clock where years later, probably two or three years later, we actually would, and this is, true. It doesn't even sound possible, but we would close the store at seven o'clock with sometimes 40 or 50 people still in the store. You know, we would lock the doors and wait on all the people that were there and get not, not really close until eight o'clock. That's incredible. And it's like that today. We, our busiest time is the very end of the day. People so are So you're catching afraid. people who want dessert, who want a snack after, after work, yep. which is a market that was completely missing yep. prior to that. And I wonder even if it makes more sense that people would seem to have more time in the afternoon for that kind of thing than they do in the morning. Yeah. I mean, you well, get up, you hustle, you go to work. Yep. And then after you're like, okay, what are we going to do? 
Yeah, and a lot of times it's business people, people on their way to work, business people. They're, you know, we now have a lot of, for some reason, um, a lot of um, uh, pharmaceutical salespeople that come in and they'll buy like 20 boxes, have them all packed up, and they, they and that's what they use as their calling card. And we hear <laughs> stories about that all the time. You know, it's a really great so thing. So when you show up at an office and you've just brought, you know, yep. A dozen cupcakes are the best cupcakes people have ever eaten. People tend to remember you and call you back, or you're at least welcome the next time you show up into the office. Yep. So that happens a lot. Yeah, we have a guy who works for a, a large construction company. They sell like roofing materials yeah. and stuff. He comes in every single morning and does that. And um, he said that um, he attaches one of his cars to every one of our boxes, and he gets in places that no one gets in because he brings, not just because it's our bakery, but just because he's walking in with a box of pastries. But he told me one time, and he gets no discount. You know, he always yeah. said, I don't even ask for a discount. I make so much money on this stuff. You couldn't imagine. You'd probably charge me more if you knew. <laughs> but he said that, uh, he told me about this one account that he would go to like regularly and they would never let him in. He'd go to get to the secretary or the assistant in the front mm -hmm. and never get to the person he wanted to get to. And he said one day after trying for like a year that when he went there, he said, can you give this to so-and-so? And she said, you know, he wants to see you. So he said, I went back to the office and he said, my wife found out that somebody brings, Oak this place was in Ohio, yeah. that somebody brings Oakmont Bakery pastries to me and she's been wanting to go there forever because one of her friends goes there or whatever. And um, he said, I ended up getting a $400,000 account because <sighs> of this box of goodies, you know, so... You know, it's, this is it's great. that's like a page out of Dale Carnegie's <laughs> How to Win Friends and Influence right. People, literally. And I love those stories. Lo oh, I love it. That know. that's incredible. So this is what year that you made that model switch, business model switch. Um, so remember? that was the first year that we were in business. Oh, really? The yeah. first year. So yep. nineteen eight um, seven. Way before social media. Yep. Way before the internet. Correct. And that's why I wanted to ask the question. So if you, you know, a lot of our listeners, leaders were born in 1987 or 1992, but if you can imagine this was pre-digital frontier. How did you get the word out? How did that, how did you let people, I know it's a small town, but people literally drive in from all over Pittsburgh, greater Pittsburgh, yeah. really from all over the country to visit your bakery now. Yeah. But how did you get the word out so that people realized Oh, we can come here at five o'clock, six o'clock, seven o'clock and get absolutely like still hot bread. First, you know, when I first opened, I couldn't really afford much advertising. So right. at that time, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Penny Saver. That was like yeah, a local. I remember yeah, that. That was the Penny Saver was like the big advertising. It was kind of like social media then. You used to go to these diners, right? And yeah. they'd have these, these, um, these placemats, place these paper with all the advertisements, on, all the yeah. advertisements yeah. on it. Yeah. Back so in the day. I was very cautious about advertising because, you yeah. know, even though I, I do believe advertising really works, it's also very costly. So what I did the first few years is I would advertise in all local church bulletins, which were like $25 a week or something like that. You could, you could pay to advertise yep. in a church bulletin? Yep. I had we no still, idea. I believe you still can. And I think, but I don't, we don't really do that much anymore, but we really did. So <laughs> in the back of every church bulletin all over Pittsburgh, you would find all the local businesses would advertise. They put, you know, we put coupons on in for 50 cents off a dozen of donuts or whatever. Yeah. Um, so that worked out. So that really, I believe that really got us, um, you got, you know, got a lot of traffic for us. Um, but we also, I would, um, on Sundays was our slower day, which now is our second busiest day, but Sundays was yeah. a slower day. So after I was, I would go into work at one o'clock in the morning, bake all night. And then around 11 o'clock, 
I would drive around, me and um, some of my nephews and nieces, we would go to the churches and we would put flyers on everybody's cars. <laughs> and that was free, right? That was free. Other than the paper. Social media. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what you did. And word got out. And then people, how long was it until people started to line up? Until well, it became legendary? You know, it, honestly, the first year, you know, uh, you know, we, I remember having a goal and we hit, we hit our goal of what we would do, which was, a, which was, a frat, it was less than what we do a month now, of course. Mm -hmm. um, but every year we had very nice increases, you know, like 20%, 25%, which is huge for a business. And you hard know, most, to sustain. Yeah. Year after year yeah. after year after year. Yes, but every year we had those really nice increases. And then we were in business for five years. I signed a five-year lease with the, the landlord. So on the fifth year, I was actually going to, we were going to um, renew my lease and I wanted to fix up the building. And um, so I went and talked to the landlord and he kind of had this, this, um, this agreement in our lease um, that he said that if I didn't renew the lease, that he would go after 10% of the business. It was like kind of a, le um, a stipulation in our lease, but it wasn't really true. Okay. So he sued me and um, it was a very, it was the scariest time of our, of our business, my wife and I both. But it also was a time that we got the closest in our relationship to God because we had to depend on him because he could have really sank the business. What and, is um, it, how does that work? That he could, if, you, if you didn't do something, he could go after 10% of your business, so, like 10% of your profits or how? Yeah, I've it was never really crazy. So in the lease, there were two options. One option was we pay a high rent, which, which we did. Our, our right. rent at that time was very high for 1987. But then there was another option where you could pay a lower lease and then pay him a percentage of the profit. Oh, and your okay. books would, so there was all these stipulations. Your books would need to be audited every year by his accountant, things like that. And um, it wasn't true. I, you know, we actually crossed out that part of the lease, me and um, his administrator when I went and signed the lease. But I was 25 years old when I did it. And I didn't, I didn't hire an attorney. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of just, so he really, you know, it really wasn't true. So he tried to action what would be more profitable to him. Correct. I get well, it. Yeah, well, yeah. really to keep me from moving out of the space because the bakery started becoming very um, popular. He knew I could pay the rent. And now he wants a piece of the Right. He, want, he didn't want me to move Pardon out for sure. So, and right. he also, you know, wanted to raise the rent a lot, almost double. So I decided to move. And um, so I went, I, I, I signed a lease, you know, and with another, um, in, a, in another location, which was across the street from where I was currently, across the boulevard. But he, and he did sue me. He said, I promise you, if you move, I'm going to sue you for that percentage. And um, so he sued me. My wife and I were very nervous, but we wow. put it in God's hands. We prayed about it every day. And it went on for three years. And finally, it ended up in a, in a, in a jury trial hearing in Pittsburgh. Jury trial? Jury trial. Oh my goodness. And um, it was, it's, a, it's, a, it's a long story, but it was really unbelievable the way that God kind of got us through it. And we learned a lot through it about depending on God. And, you know, um, we were we were at Amplified Church at that time. And, and the pastor that was here then actually prayed with us the whole way down on the way down to the hearing, gave me some really good practical advice. Um, and we we were there with, you know, it was, we had the trial that day that we ended up both signing not to have a jury. We just had a judge. And, um, and we and the judge voted in our favor. And wow. we uh, we lost nothing. And because it, the, of the, the because of the way everything happened, our, my attorney had no time to prepare because they called the case the same day that they were supposed to set the date. 
And so she had no time to prepare at all, zero. Well, as a so former I attorney, nothing. I can tell you yeah. that that's crazy. <laughs> I think it's called the call of the pick or something like that when they set all the dates for the trials. Yeah. And very rarely does your trial come up that day. But ours did. She called me and said, come down to you know the city right now. Your trial's today. No way. And, um, so it worked out really well, you know, really well in our favor. And then we were at our second location, um, which we ended up purchasing that property um, a few years later from the landlord and it had two buildings on it. So our thoughts were we were moving from 1,000 square feet into a 3,500 square foot building with a fantastic landlord. He was great. He let me do whatever I wanted to the building and <laughs> he was very fair. And um, so we were there for about maybe two years and he died. He had a heart attack and died. Man. And I was able to buy the property off of his family and um, it was, there were two buildings on the property, 3,500 square foot each. And I was going to rent out one building and just keep the one I was in, but we were growing every year exponentially really. And um, so we decided that we would do something very unusual again, which is um, because I needed more space, we would have retail in one building and production in, in the other building right across mm -hmm. the parking which lot. Which is where you were until a few months until ago. Until a few months right? ago. Right? Like yep. you did that for 30 years. Yep. Wow. So we were in now 7,000 square feet production and retail and the building behind, we, I, I purchased the building behind us, a 5,000 square foot warehouse that we were able to now take tractor trailer loads of ingredients, um, which is very unusual for a bakery. You know, we, yeah. were, we were just really out of room. And um, so in that new location, our retail space, we, you know, most bakeries are kind of like old world style. You go in, you know, you see grapes on the walls and all that. Yeah. And we made it very modern, black and white, um, we had, um, we actually, our bakery cases, I was never really fond of, and I was looking at new bakery cases and they were all the same, kind of hard to see in, hard to clean. So we went to a jewelry store, a jewelry shop, um, a guy who made jewelry cases for Rolex um, jewelry shops. <laughs> and he made our cases custom built. No way. Yeah. So the guy who does it for Rolex built, built our bakery that cases. That is insane, yeah. Mark. So we laid this store out really, really nicely. And um, and we ended up, our cases ended up going on, you know, in a, in a national magazine, they showed them off. And, um, and that was in, I believe 2010, um, that we won one of the most coveted bakery awards, which is retail bakery of the year. Um, and, and a modern baking magazine, which I read modern baking since I was probably 15 years old. It was my favorite magazine. And, um, so that was a great milestone. And then to see yourself in that magazine must've been a real thrill. Yeah. One of the things you did, you have artists on staff, like pretty much. So mm -hmm. you're, you know, don't just think, oh, you bake a lot of bread and make a lot of donuts. You do that, but you've diversified. Do you want to talk about your product line and how you create products that people just rave about and can't wait to not only eat, but look at? Yeah. Like it's, it's art. So, well, one of the things in the year before we won that award, we won um, um, Bakery Merchandiser of the Year. So in our display cases, we started hiring people that all they did all day was organize our cases. So they would yeah. take the trays out, clean them, and always keep them filled. Never an empty tray in the cases. Wow. And um, so that's, you know, the eye appeal. If you walk in the bakery, when you walk down the, the line of showcases, it's, it's actually organized by color, um, by, you know, bagels, donuts, cookies. They're all individual cases of almost like, I always say it's like a mall of bakery products. It is. And so I don't want to jump too far ahead, but in your new building, which you only opened a few months ago, 
How many feet is that display case? It's huge. Oh, yeah. So Biggest we, I've ever seen. So it's a hundred and it's 140 feet long. 140 feet. And then we also have a full, I showed you the full yeah. wall of cakes. So which there's is 60 this, feet like long. this huge, like imagine a jewelry case really of 140 feet long and behind it, a glass wall with all this stuff that's actually in like, and you love that display thing, right? Yeah, what do you think that it. does? Why was display so much a part of of what you do? And it's a, is it intentional? It's like at the eye level of a kid to yeah. a lot of it. Yeah, well, so we we do keep our kids' things low so the kids because <laughs> parents will buy their kids anything. Yeah. Um, it's very everything's very intentional. The way things are, the colors, the, the you know where where the cakes are, where the donuts and bagels are. And um, we keep our breads down near our cafe kitchen where you order food and salads and soups and all that. But also, you know, people buy with their eyes. They it's, hmm. things need to look good, you know, for people to purchase them. It's true, people do buy with their eyes, don't yep. they? They really do. And they're like, oh, I want that. Yep. Oh, I haven't but, tried but that. Often something looks good and doesn't taste good. And yeah. the end result is they come back because it was so irresistible when they ate it, you know, yeah. whether they eat at the bakery or they eat it at home. So talk about artistry and how you got into that. So, you know, um, growing up in the bakery world, you know, all uh, bakery cakes had roses on them pretty much. <laughs> roses and fancy writing. Yeah, and um, so right. I grew up really, I always had an interest in art. And um, so my, when I was working at the donut shop, I actually talked the owner into let, letting me make cakes there. So I would make like at that time, Smurf cakes because Smurfs oh, yeah, were so yeah. popular. Smurfs were really big in yeah. the 80s. Ninja Turtles, yep. you know, all that stuff. So I started shaping the cakes into these different, you know, characters and um, they were very popular. So we would hire decorators and then I'd teach them how to do these different shapes or, you know, drawings on cakes or whatever, which wasn't all that popular in the day. But then I started, um, we started hiring artists, like from the Pittsburgh Art Institute. Um, you know, so not bakers, schools, not but bakers. literally they went to art school. Yep. And, and so it's, it's actually easier to teach somebody to use icing instead of paint or clay than it is to try to teach somebody who's used to working with icing and cake how to, how to draw or, no way. or sculpt. Yeah, it's, act, it's easier. And those how, people- Okay, how did you come up with that idea? Well, because one of my decorators- um, one of my decorators was actually a front counter, um, you know, cashier. And um, she came back with, she would come in the back with me and draw on cakes and things like that. And um, I w so I taught her to be a decorator and I thought, yeah. this is great, you know? <laughs> so we now do that all the time. Like when you were at the bakery today, yeah. the one girl that was decorating cakes, her and the next person that was coming in, both of them started out as cashiers in the front of the bakery and had art background and learn to decorate. Um, and they're our best decorators by far. Wow. But I saw one woman was turning um, a bunch of cupcakes into like this pineapple cake, which was really cool. And then the, the artistry is just, well, uh, you know what? In the show notes, we'll post either links to or some pictures of some of your best cakes yeah. because it really yeah, is we have worth- some really, really Oh my gosh. Like I know it was Tuesday when we went in, you said it's the least busy day, but it was still the stuff I saw was unreal. So you just started building on that and mm. people were blown away by it and they lined up for it day after day after day yeah. and you kept going. I asked you when we had lunch today, one of my questions was like, what is, what is your staple? What is the thing everybody comes for? And your answer was, there is no one thing yeah, at Oakmont. Yeah, really isn't. Talk about that. So 
Well, like for instance, um, when I was telling you when bagels became popular, you know, I, mm. I just, it was a big deal at the time, but I decided to invest in bagel equipment, yeah. and, which was, which was an expensive endeavor. And that was the time that was probably 25 years ago when the bagel market really took off. Yeah. And, um, so we started making bagels and, and bagels did well. And we started making bagel sandwiches, just like all the bagel shops, but we were already making 40 different, um, varieties of donuts, which all the donut shops do. So we have people that are, that would go to a donut um, franchise that come to the bakery regularly and can get cookies and bread and a salad if they want to, you know. So all these different areas. So we have the bagels and donuts, cookies. We have about 40 different varieties of cookies. We have every different cake you can imagine. So you can buy a single serving dessert cake or you can buy a wedding cake that serves a thousand people that looks like Princess Diana's wedding gown. <laughs> um, so, but there's so many, there's almost something for everyone. When macaron cookies um, got really popular, you know, mac the macaron process is very involved. It's a yeah. French thing, you know. And I actually, my wife and I went to France um, and we went to the, um, their baking institute and actually watched um, French bakers make macarons. And we, we, we got some really great ideas. And we have people that instead of going to a macaron shop, come to our bakery just to buy macarons, you know? And you would think that that's not that big of a thing, but each thing on their own, you know, each item on its own makes up, you know, who we are. For Memorial Day and, and especially Father's Day and 4th of July, we make a cake that's a three-layer cake. So um, it's, a, it's a big cheeseburger. The bottom layer is a yellow cake. <laughs> And the next chocolate layer is covered with chocolate icing and um, and chopped so it up looks Oreos. Like the patty. It looks like the hamburger patty. And then the top layer is the bun. And we put Rice Krispies on top for sesame seeds and <laughs> all that. And we sold sixty of them um, yesterday and the day before. You know, and they're in the old in the old day, you wouldn't walk into a bakery and see a gigantic cheeseburger cake just sitting there waiting to be bought. You would have to order it a week before. Right, right. So you've got that stuff on the shelf. Right. And ready people to know go. they're going to come in. They're going to find some pretty interesting things. Okay, I got to ask you this question now because if I close the interview and I don't do that, but what do you do? It's seven o'clock at night. Every night you got a shop full, like a store full with probably at this point, hundreds, if not over a thousand items that haven't sold. Yeah. So certain items like we have, you know, we have 17 um, display cases in the front and I think seven of them are refrigerated cases. Yeah. So we make that, you know, we flip those cases many times a day. Right. So like the cupcakes and the cakes that we're putting in those cases, we're putting them in at six and seven o'clock getting ready for the next morning because yeah. we always open with a full store also. Right. So that stuff is all brand so new. So it's 12 hours old. Yep. Mm -hmm. Most of it. Um, and then, the, but the stuff, like there are some things that only have a one day life, even if it's made at the end of the day, like donuts, sometimes we'll make it five o'clock in the afternoon, but at seven o'clock they get, we give them away. We do not keep them. Oh, where do, who do you give them to? So we have about five or six. Well, no, we have more than that. We probably have about 10 or 12 organizations that are on a schedule. So like, for instance, we have um, some homeless shelters, we have a bunch of different ministries that come in, they feed the homeless um, or there's a woman's abuse shelter. Um, there's a couple of churches that do missionary work. So they come in and they're on a schedule. They come in, they pick up four or five sheet cake boxes of product. And there's sometimes five of them a night that come in and do that. Wow. So when I decided to do the whole, we're going to bake till the end of the day, I thought what better way to, to you know show our generosity than to give it to people that are less fortunate than us. 
I still believe today that that's probably one of the main reasons for our success. I don't, hmm. I don't believe that all that, that the success that we're experiencing is just because we're good bakers or good business people. Right. So you think that generosity, that giving away has been, whether that's a form of blessing or like the bean counters would say, but do you know that that was $3,000 that walked out the door? And yeah. you're like, we so never, we never count it. You never count we it. We never count it. Wow. Wow. So that doesn't even show up on a balance nope, sheet. It does not. That's the best. So very little goes to waste. Very little goes to waste because somebody, you know, benefits from it. Um, but we're also very, like, we have, we have great software. So we mm. track everything. So we know how much we sold last year and what right. we should make today. So we don't end up, we don't end up, you know, getting rid of as much as we made. It's probably 10 or 15%, but we don't keep track of it. Oh, that's good to know. So you you know, Memorial Day yeah. is going to be this. Right. Uh, Labor Day is going to be this. Fourth of July, Christmas. You know what to expect. Right. You know what to make, and you do seasonal things. I mean, down things. to the down to the piece of product. We really do. Our software tracks it very well. And wow. It, and it's really cool. So normally, like last year, we were on a about an eight percent increase, eight or ten percent increase. So we actually, when we when we write our productions, you know, the night before, we if we sold you know, 25 cookie trays last year and we're on a 10%, you know, we make exactly 27 and a half. Right, right? exactly. Cookie trays. And, um, and then if we have to make more, we, we can make more, of course, but it, we're really close all the time. When we moved into our new facility, we're pretty much on a 40% increase right now. And so for Memorial Day, we did 40%. We were up 48%. So <laughs> we ended up, like our cheeseburger cakes, we, last year, we sold 13 and, you know, this year, I, I, I think we sold 58 or something like that. But we, we were running out towards the end of the day. So we made three more in a half an hour. But it's very close. That's know? interesting. Okay, so you've had growth pretty much every single year for 30 years in this 3,500 square foot bakery. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk to everybody who's dealing with shortages. It's like, man, we, we just don't have room to grow, right? And you hear that. And you didn't for 30 years. We're going to talk about your new facility before we're done. How did you keep growing when you couldn't keep expanding? Well, we, we learned all kinds of different ways of doing things. But, you know, like obviously for at Christmas time, for instance, we, you know, um, I think I'm trying to, I think yeah. it's like, like, like three, three times the product we would make at Christmas time than a regular month. And um, so we would run two, we would normally we would run um, one crew 24 hours a day. At that time, we run two crews 24 hours a day. It's a little tighter, a lot tighter, you know? <laughs> okay. But um, we did that with there. And even in our retail, um, where we make cookie trays and stuff at Christmas time, normally um, all of the front counter people would be done at eight o'clock at night, but they, we would have another whole shift of people that would make cookie trays all night, you know? And we do that with every holiday, depending on if it's Easter, it's Pasca bread and, you know, bunny cakes. It just depends on... You know what the holiday. So is. you would just run more shifts yep. and max out the space that you have. What about lines? Like, how did you deal? Because it was a small store. I mean, it was a big store for a bakery, but it was compared very big to what for a bakery, you have now, but we were. You know, we 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 started out probably the maybe fourth or fifth year that we were in there. When I said to my wife, "We'll never run out of space in this building. Never. Yeah. It's impossible." You know. Um, we started, um, you know, we have a number machine. So we, most bakeries only use their number machine on the busiest days, like Friday and Saturday. We use ours on Monday morning at What's six o'clock. What's a numbering machine? That's the, oh, when oh, you yeah, come the, in, they the, call your number. Get your ticket, number yeah, 42. Yeah. Yeah. So our ticket machine, we use every day from, the, from open till close pretty much because there's never a time there's nobody in the bakery. 
And you know, most bakeries you can go into and you're the only one in there yeah. at different times of the week, you know. We, around the time, around 2010, my son and I visited a bakery in California called Porto's. And um, this probably is the biggest bakery in the world, I would think. It's about 20,000 square feet. We met the owner. He let us tour his facility. And he now he has four of these and all around like Los, the Los Angeles mm -hmm. area on the outskirts of Los Angeles. He's a great business guy, like very uh, just innovative in every way you can imagine. But when, I, when we were there, I was saying, you know, we get so busy that people are elbow to elbow inside the bakery. I don't really know what to do anymore. We don't, we can't make any more room, you know? And when we were there, we noticed that he, he, we were talking to one of his managers and there's all these people waiting outside and the store's filled. And um, he said, he said, go talk to Chico. That was the guy's name. So I said, how do you manage this crowd? This is crazy. And it's a, it was like a Wednesday or Thursday. He said, well, we call this mass chaos outside and controlled chaos inside. So we hold the people outside, just like Disney World in a line. We keep them outside so that the people that are inside can enjoy their experience. Mm -hmm. And hopefully, you know, they had a great experience inside that they forget about their experience outside. <laughs> and um, so as soon as we got back to Pittsburgh, we started doing that. We started holding people outside on our busiest days. And it really made the, in, the experience inside the bakery much better for all of the employees and the customers. So even when it's minus 20 out, because it's yep. Pittsburgh, not LA, yep. um, people are outside yep. and... The only time we don't, the only time we really try not to do that is if it's raining, sure. you know, but still there's times that it could be dangerous to have too many people inside the building. Yeah. In our new facility, we have um, covered patios. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. You know, it's a little... Talk about how you've dealt, you told me some stories earlier. Uh, like, can you talk about when um, the bagel place came to town, how you've dealt with competition and some of the other stores that have sort of moved in and you're like, okay, here's what we're going to do. Sure. So, um, you know, around, around the bagel craze time, um, I decided to buy bagel equipment. And Oakmont's a small town, so there, there's hardly yeah, how any... how many people live in Oakmont? It's a village almost. Yeah. Right? It's, like, it's, is it 5,000 people, 3,000 people? It's small, maybe 6,000 people now. 6,000, okay. So the, um, the bagel shop, which was a franchise, moved into... We heard they were moving into Oakmont. And um, as soon as I found out, I already bought the equipment. It was already on order. It was going to be delivered. And I was really nervous about it, thinking, I probably shouldn't have done this, you know? Um, we sell all these other products. We don't need bagels, you know, pretty much. And then I thought, and then I don't know, one night I was just thinking about it and I thought this chain, when they move into an area and they were big, they were moving into everywhere. Um, they would um, put a coupon in the zip code that they were in and give everybody, I think it was six free bagels. So you get a coupon in the mail the week that they open for six free bagels. And, and I you thought, had bought the equipment before not knowing that they were coming to your town. Coming, right. Wow. And, and they moved in quick. Like they, we heard they were moving in and they, they moved in. They opened up pretty quickly. I decided that we were going to honor their coupon, but I wasn't really sure how to do it. So, because I didn't want to say their names and, you yeah. know. Um, so I ended up um, in, in the local newspaper, I think it was the Penny Saver, putting in a coupon. And we, we actually did it in a few different places. Um, but we put a coupon in that said, we will honor um, any bagel competitor's coupon, only we will double it. So... <laughs> You know, so if they were offering six free, we were, we were going to give them a dozen. But, the, but then the, a little twist to it. And this, I decided this the first day we, are, we started uh -huh. taking the coupons. Because people were coming in, they're saying, we have our coupon, you know, are you going to accept it? And we're like, yeah, absolutely. So I bought, a, I bought these three gigantic white garbage cans and put them in the center of the bakery, which was a, you know, it was kind of like a square then. The cases yeah. were in a square. I said, the only thing is they have to throw their, their, the bagels they brought in 
they have to bring them in and throw them into our garbage can in order to get a dozen of ours. <laughs> and um, so we did that and it ended up being, it was an exciting time, you know. So they wife, take it from the competitors, they get a dozen of their bagels, they bring them into your store, throw them in the garbage yep. and get 24 of yours or whatever. Yep. Yeah. And then we actually, we donated the bagels to the homeless places of course. and all that, you know, because they were fresh, they weren't fresh bagels. And um, we did that probably for a, for a couple of weeks until I felt comfortable that they weren't going to mess with our our bagel sales. <laughs> <laughs> and then you had another competition move in because we had lunch at the bakery. And when I got the email that said, hey, we're going to have lunch at uh, Mark's Bakery, I'm like, oh, I'm going to have a donut salad. But actually we had a really, <laughs> we had a really, really nice like chicken, grilled chicken salad that you would get at a sit down restaurant. I was pretty impressed. Oh, thanks. Yeah, so there was so the same thing. A franchise was moving in, like a, a, a kind of like a bakery slash sandwich shop, and we already were selling sandwiches because of the bagel craze and all that. So for years, we were selling a lot of bagel sandwiches, breakfast sandwiches, and lunch sandwiches. So when I heard that this place was opening in Oakmont, another franchise, I was like, man. Now I'm much older now. This was probably 15 years later, and um, so I wasn't as nervous about losing business, yeah. but I I still didn't want to lose any business that we had, you know. I checked out this franchise. I even went to a couple other states that they were in to see what their most their most popular, profitable shops were doing. Right. And um, one of the things that they decided was that they wouldn't open any shops without outdoor seating, which we didn't have, and they were putting in Oakmont. Um, I noticed, you know, just from eating their product, which I, you know, I ate there once in a while, but um, you know, it, it, not in Oakmont. Um, but we noticed that their lunch meat wasn't that great. Yeah. You know, we knew our bread was fantastic. Um, and our, but our lunch meat was okay. We were buying it from a food service supplier, you know, middle of the road lunch meat. And um, I thought we have to do everything better than them. So we're going to switch to boar's head lunch meats and cheeses and make sure that our portions are bigger. They have outdoor seating. Um, we just, we just kind of upscaled everything that we were doing, kept our prices the same. At that time, we were doing about 150 meals a day. And the week that the shop opened in Oakmont, we opened our outdoor seating. We already had switched to Boar's Head Lunch Meats and Cheeses and advertised that like crazy. And shortly after, we were we doubled what we were doing in meals. No way. So yeah. you grew while they moved into town yeah. just by upping your game. Sounds right. like you travel a lot. Like you've been to California, you go to visit competitors, you go to learn from other bakers. When you want to do macarons, you went to Paris. You're a student. Tell us about that. How do you yeah. stay fresh? How do you keep your eyes on the horizon? Well, I mean, I totally I totally believe in um, continuous learning. Like we're never, ever there. Yeah. And um, so like when we were, um, when we opened the retail um, store, of course, I was going to make it like every other bakery. So there were there were pillars in there and they were, um, it was very old world with, you know, great patterns on the walls and, you know, very Italian kind of looking. And, you know, once it was all finished and it was brand new, I was like, I wanted to be a modern bakery. Hmm. So I went to New York and went into a couple of uh, like nice New York restaurants and we patterned our, our um, interior design after one of those restaurants. And I mean, our, the bakery was probably six months old at that time, but we completely redid it. Wow. Totally redid it. Tell us about your new store. So this was a uh, last time I've been, I come to Pittsburgh once or twice a year these days, it seems uh, for one thing or another with Amplify. Uh, but when we were talking at a previous time, you're pretty excited. This has been years in the making, but you just opened up an 18,000, almost 20,000 square foot facility. Um, and one of the largest bakeries in America. 
It's got that 140-foot glass case, state-of-the-art everything. Tell us about that. So, um, you know, so our, like I said, our our um, our last shop, I thought, was was definitely going to be big enough for the rest of our lives that we could yeah. keep growing as much as we were going to grow. And um, so when we started thinking about, you know, one of the things that, that started out really great was having the split um, retail and production because mm -hmm. all the production, which is messy, is on one side and all the retail is more quiet and cleaner on the other side. And for a while, that was nice. But, you know, and we had to take all the product across the parking lot in carts and... In winter, um, in the, fall, yeah, in spring. Rain and snow yeah. and... Um, and communication was very hard. We communicate constantly with the bakers. So when we're running out of pecan rolls two hours before we thought we let them know we have 12 pecan rolls left or whatever, you know? Um, so that was really hard. And we had heads, we were wearing headsets, but it was still hard, you know, communicating and stuff like that. So when we went to California, so most of the bakeries, like our bakery was already pretty much the biggest bakery that I knew of around. Yeah. And, um, but when we went to California to Porto's, they had a, um, the, the first portos we went into was about 18,000 square foot. And um, my son and I were just like, it was unbelievable when we saw it. Hmm. It was magnificent. My first thought was if we built this and we didn't fill it up, it would be foolish, you know, because people don't like to come into a warehouse either and walk right. around, you know. Right. So we talked to Raul, the owner, about it, you know, and we were we told him our numbers and he seemed to be pretty impressed with what we were already doing. He was like, I wouldn't hesitate to do it. There's nothing in your area like it. You're already a draw. You're going onto a busier area. So he kind of talked us into just the idea, you know. So we were going to try to do that right where we were. We were going to try to buy another piece of property next to us, build a bigger building and all that. So I talked to some of my friends about it and stuff. And we decided, you know, I already owned this one piece of property to try to make this property bigger. Um, it's it's at the entrance into the town. So when you come when you come into Oakmont, you saw it's like the welcome. Yeah, you come over the bridge Oakmont. and yeah. that's so the Oakmont. first thing you see. So we, you know, it just, it was a couple year process, you know, getting the property together, getting all the approvals, PennDOT and all that. And, um, and Raul helped us a lot with planning and gave us, you know, a lot of ideas. And um, he actually even gave us the blueprints to his own building just so no we way. could get an idea of the flow of how they make things and all that. We, we called him on the phone all the time. My son went out a couple times and met with his managers and he actually let them have full, you know, access to the shops to see how things were set up and how they wow. did things. That's really generous. So really 18,500 square feet. It is uh, roughly, my math's not good, five times the size of your old place. And rumor has it that your business not only is up 40%, but your first month lines out the door. Yeah. Day in and day out. Yeah. Talk, I mean, talk every about day. that. Every so single day. When we when we first opened, you know, we were planning on having a nice. I mean, I planned on it. I'm a planner, and yeah. um, but it was, you know, first of all, we didn't have enough employees, so that was one of the things we just couldn't hire enough people fast enough to keep up with the demand. And um, we had people, we had traffic lined up on the bridge, one lane. No way, yeah. lined up on the bridge. Yeah, we had police every single day directing traffic in and out of the bakery. Um, and it was a little bit. I think it was a nuisance to the police a little yeah. bit. You know, first yeah. of course. And um, our did you give them lots, free donuts? Sorry, I had we to ask. always give them always give them free, free donuts. donuts. <laughs> always, we, we love the police. <laughs> um, so yeah, we um, so the first month was really hard. It was hard on everyone and um, on all the employees. And you know, it's that's when you really notice. Like when we moved yeah. from our our last location into our newest location, um, we I decided that we were going to close on a 
Sunday and open up Monday morning in our new location. And everyone said, like all the companies that we were working with said, you're insane. You can't do this. Mm. But I really don't like disappointing our customers. That's the main thing, you know. Um, It's not about not having that one day of sales because the less stress, the better for everyone. But I just felt like we needed to do that. So we had like five companies that moved us. And a lot of our equipment was new and we already had ingredients go and there are freezers and coolers were all up and all that. So, um, but it was it was a lot bigger than we thought it was going to be. There, We still, every day, we have people that come from Maryland, Ohio, Lancaster, just all over the, you know. Well, I was going to ask you, where do all these people come from? I mean, you're in a village of five, 6,000 people yeah. and people are lined up the door for a month and there's traffic jams. Like, yeah. do you know? Yeah. It, I mean, it was really interesting. But like some of the people, especially at first, I would say, they would say, oh, we just, you know, we're here from Maryland at eight o'clock in the morning. I was waiting on customers and I would say, what did you, what are you here for? You know, like, I mean, seriously, what are you here for? And they're like, we're here to come to the bakery. <laughs> and to me, that's just amazing that people drive hours to come to my bakery. Yeah. That's incredible. Okay. Let's talk about employees because that's always a challenge. You had to add a whole lot more employees. And again, we talked about this on this podcast before, but you can't always pay, you know, six-figure salaries to the yeah. people who are decorating in the back and yep. the whole detail. And, and how do you train, particularly in a small town, that many people? How do you, how do you find the people? How do you develop them? And because I was, I was, we toured the whole thing. It just seems to be humming along. Yeah, well... So the, um, you know, we're kind of in our succession um, Mm -hmm. phase right now, which will probably be years in the making. But my son, um, who could run the bakery himself now, he's he's an unbelievably energetic, very innovative, um, passionate about what he's doing, gets along really well with all the staff. He really appreciates people. My daughter, my oldest daughter um, runs our human resources and a lot of our marketing. My daughter-in-law, my son-in-law works there. Um, but you know, including in this whole succession thing, there are a lot of people that work there. Like, um, our, our retail manager, Michael, he's been there since he was 16 years old. He started as a maintenance guy. And, um, he, and, um, you know, he's like, I, I consider him as much of a succession as anyone, you know, like he'll probably, I hope he's there the rest of his life and I'll make sure that he can't go anywhere else and make more money than he makes in the bakery. Yeah. Um, and there's a, another, there's a woman, Courtney, who started when she was 15 and now she does all of our special order, like our cake orders. Um, she's our operations director. Um, she does a lot of our tech stuff, you know, I mean, these are very bright young people. Justin, who's been there since he was 15, he started out in the maintenance department and he's Tony's right hand guy, you know? And, um, so all of those people, They're pretty loyal. You have some long term really, people. Yep. yep. There's a couple of people that started with me right from the beginning, um, Debbie and Laura, who have been there, you know, they're one's a cake decorator, one's a finisher that ices everything. And um, they've been there for 32 years, same as me, you know, and I'm totally loyal, dedicated. And a really cool thing was when we were moving, you know, all those companies moving us and stuff, all of the, uh, well, probably 50% of our employees that worked the day that we moved, um, finished working, you know, cl- baking, cleaning, whatever, and, and came back um, with their street clothes on and helped us move. No way. How, why do you think that is? I I don't, I mean, I hope it's because they care about us as much as we care about them. Okay, how, I guess the other way to ask it is how have, obviously you've kept them employed, you've invested in them, but what are some keys 
to loyalty in developing people that you've discovered over the years as a, as an owner? Well, I think, I mean, one of the things is I think it's important that we listen to people like, like, like I was saying about the front counter people that want to be decorators that we, we hire from within. I learned that at the church, you know, our pastor always believes in that um, developing people from within. So if I'm looking for a cake decorator, I look inside first, you know, if I'm looking for a new baker, a, a lot of Tony's bakers were, you know, dishwashers or maintenance guys that are now full-time bakers that are great, you know? So, I, I mean, I think that's the one thing you invest in people and they appreciate it. Um, I think it's, I think that as a Christian business um, leader that we have to pay people a fair value, you know, mm-hmm. like not take advantage of people. And, uh, and we really try to do that, you know, um, always being higher than the average you know, baker salary. You're not paying minimum salary. wage. No, too. we don't pay anybody minimum wage. Wow. We so when, a lot of when some of the high school kids start, they start at minimum wage, sure. but they quickly move from minimum wage too because minimum wage is really minimum. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How how do you guard profitability in that? Because it sounds like you're innovating, you're diversifying. Um, your store is very high end. I mean, you were telling me even about your refrigeration system that you're you're doing some high-end refrigeration that most bakeries just can't afford. Um, or even know about. Or even know about, <laughs> right. Well, go ahead and explain what that refrigeration is, and then I want to come back to profitability. So our, like, our refrigeration system is what they have in like very high-end supermarkets now. So it's called a parallel system where in, in, in a regular shop, you know, bakery shop or a supermarket, each, each cooler and freezer is an individual unit that runs from the inside up to the roof with its own compressor and stuff. This is a loop system that runs, like when a compressor goes down, there's a computer that switches another compressor in to run for it until the the um, system, it'll text me and Tony and it'll send an email to the refrigeration company. And before, in the old days, you wouldn't know until product starts getting soft. Yeah, until you know? all of a sudden it's like, what's right. wrong with this cake? This, right? I mean, we're sleeping at two o'clock in the morning and we get yeah. a um, we get a text that says non-critical valve um, replace replacement needed. You know, uh-huh. and um, so it's. I mean, I love it. Even though some people would say, "Doesn't that drive you crazy?" I like it. You know, I like knowing what's going on. But but it's it does dehumidifying and yeah, refrigerating de- at the same time. Yeah. So a lot of no, not very many freezers have dehumidifiers built into them. But ours do, so that like our fondant on our cakes and our ganache and stuff like that doesn't sweat in our coolers. So when we, what we used to have to do is we would like ice a cake, and then right before it was going to go out to a wedding or to a special event or whatever, would put the gum paste or fondant on the mm. cake because it would weep in the cooler. But ours we can put on the day before because it doesn't do and that. And it's perfect. It's pristine. It's perfect. Yep. Isn't that interesting? But again, that was, I won't Expensive share the number, but that was double and, yeah. the cost yep. of a regular freezer. Right. So one of the ways that we're able to do that, pay yeah. our employees higher and wages. And not charge $200 a donut. Right. And, and we don't. Like our donuts are $11 a dozen. The local chain donuts are $12 a dozen. And ours are, I would think, better, better quality. Than yeah, most, yeah. You know. So you're cheaper yep. or at par with other bakeries. Yep. And you got the best stuff. And you pay your employees a living wage. And you got lines out the door. Yeah. Well, so volume makes a really big difference yeah. in profitability. That's the first thing. But one thing we, another thing we learned from Porto's from Raw is, you know, he, like when we were there, he was like, you're crazy. You're buying like a little bakery shop. You should be buying like a supermarket, like a chain. <laughs> so he actually worked with my son and our purchasing guy, Justin. 
he actually worked with them when they went to California and he was showing them, he actually showed them on a big screen in his office, all of his expenses and um, what he pays for certain products. And um, Tony came back and, and, and met with every company and we were able to reduce some of like our merchant, our uh, packaging, we were able to reduce about 25%, which we were spending a million dollars a year on. Um, so you saved like a quarter that. million yeah. right out of the gate. Yep. And there's Just been a few things like that. Yep. Oh, wow. So again, and, and, and then you're profitable. Yep. Um, one of the things, man, we've got, I feel like we need a part two to this interview because we're already at the hour mark, but uh, this has been fascinating to me. Um, you are involved with your church, Amplified Church, which we're actually sitting at recording this yeah. podcast where Lee Kreitcher and Jason Howard are. Uh, question though is generosity has been part of your faith journey and part of your business practice. Can you talk about that? That that's sort of, huh. you know, part of the, I wanted to say baked into the business, but I'm it just is. the king of bad <laughs> puns today. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mark. So early in our, you know, early in our business, um, we were struggling a little bit, you know, like we were, you know, it was, should we pay for the sugar or the flour this week? You know? Yeah. And um, I remember one time, um, you know, Pastor Lee that was, did a message on, um, you know, if you're really struggling financially, you better give more, you know? <laughs> and uh, and, and it, that was, a, it was a great message. It really hit home for me and my wife. But so not too long after that, um, I said, you know, I'm working, I'm looking at the books. And I said to my wife, I'm, I'm nervous about this, you know, we got to pay these bills. And I don't like, I, instead of paying every month, we always have paid every week her, mm. her bills, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, so she said, well, then I guess we better write a bigger check to the church. And we did. And that became our regular pattern of giving. And we never really struggled any. We, I don't remember after that ever really struggling financially paying our bills. And um, so over the years, we, we took some, we, we made some pretty bold moves when the church was struggling and really needed our help. We helped, but God blessed us a lot more than I think we blessed the church. Isn't that interesting? So you found, it's funny because, I mean, I come at this all the time from a faith context, but uh, I was listening to a podcast with Tony Robbins being interviewed and he said exactly the same thing, not particularly from a Christian standpoint, but just the key. He says, I never know any generous people who really feel like they're broke. And yeah. it's, so, it's so funny that way. Obviously, it hasn't all been upside. I mean, I just, I just kept listening to the story. I'm fascinated, taken in by it. But you probably had some struggles and setbacks too. So what have been some of the crises that you've had to endure over 31 years of doing this? Yeah, I mean, we've had, you know, we've had our struggles. Um, of course, in the early years, my wife and I, I worked so much at the bakery and we had five children. I think wow. we were probably on our third. We, we might've had three at this time, but we went through a really rough um, you know, time in our marriage where we both came to the place where we said, we're just going to get divorced. You know, mm. this isn't really working out. And we were very, we, we, we were Christians for a long time when we came to this decision, you know? And um, so um, we, you know, really that, the church helped us so much um, through that time um, in, in all different ways, just the messages alone. It's just a, a really, um, a time in our life when we remember that it, the church it helped us stay together. And we had some really great relationships in the church. And I think that's what gave us our passion for the church because we know that um, it's, it is truly life-changing. How did the church help? Well, um, um, well first, um, when, we, when we first got married, we started coming to the church you know, the first year that we were married. And 
that was the first time that we really were struggling. And I remember going home one day, I, I found this church and I went home. I said to my wife, you know, who my wife is the sweetest woman out of both mm-hmm. of us. She's the one, you know, um, she's, I went home and I said this, I went to this church and, you know, the, and it was Pastor Lee, he was talking about marriage. And um, it was the way he talked about it. I never heard marriage talked about before like this, about how important the marriage is to God. Cause we always felt that it was important to each other, you know, not to God as much, but um, it was a really fascinating message. And I went home and I said, I, re- we got to try this out. You got to come to the church with me. And she's like, I'm finished. You know? <laughs> and um, so, and then a, a couple of weeks later, she came to church with me. We were actually at a rented hall across the street from where we are now. And um, we both fell in love with the church and developed some really great relationships. And I got involved running sound and stuff. And um, it definitely saved our marriage, no question mm. about it. And, um, and then, you know, like 10 years later, or maybe 12 years later, we ran into that problem again. And, this, and the senior pastor met with both of us and, you know, talked to us a lot about marriage and about what was going on. Like, and it, he made me see that my, all of my effort and all of my time was being put into the business. So of course my marriage was suffering. Right. I was putting nothing into it. And then if we keep God's order, um, everything else works out. And I found that to be very true. Yeah, that's interesting because you seem to be, even though you own a substantial business now and you have a hundred and how many employees? 164. 164 employees. I mean, you know where everything is. You know how everything's made. You're a little, your son is pretty much running the day-to-day, but you're, you know, you're no stranger. You're not just a visionary. No, no. You, you could still bake that cake if you had to. Correct. Right? Um, what, what are some boundary keys that have helped you stay married and by all accounts, happily married at this point? And now you're a grandfather as well. Yep. So how do you make sure, how have you guarded against work completely consuming you and the people you love? Well, so I've learned, you know, especially when, when, when we did the, the turnaround at the church, um, I decided that I was going to do whatever I could to help the senior pastor, you know, whatever help he needed. Um, pastor Lee, from- just to give a background to people, uh, Lee Kreicher founded with Linda Amplify Church uh, in the 70s, was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you were there in the early days, in the 80s. And then he left and then he came back in 2003 yeah, because the church had really slid after he he left as a founder. And um, now it's a church 2000. Uh, this is going to be on either a future or previous episode where I talked to Lee and his successor, Jason Howard. And there's been a big turnaround. But the turnaround you're talking about is when Lee came back for the second time to take over as lead pastor. Yep. I was on the board of directors at the time. I was mm-hmm. actually, I called him um, wow. and asked him after we were with Because he was living in Atlanta. He was living yep. in Atlanta, living a good life. And um. So um, I decided that I was going to do whatever I could to help out. And that meant that I left the bakery at some pretty critical, t- crucial times from the, I would normally say I could never leave. I have to be there then. Oh, so I all left. of a sudden you had another responsibility. Yep. And, it, and I felt that responsibility was actually more important than my regular responsibility of being at the bakery all the time. And that's when I started traveling. Like I started traveling with Lee a little. He was doing some consulting work around the country and I would, he would do his his leadership stuff and I would go to visit bakeries and things like that. Um, but I also, you know, like I, I, I very, uh, you know, methodically spend time with my wife. You know, my wife- I was going to say, kids, yeah, because being at the church also isn't being home. Right. And it, <laughs> so. But, you know, she made that very, I mean, that was, a, that was actually a decision we made together mm-hmm. um, where I said, I'm going to be spending a lot of time. And she 100% agreed with what I was doing. 
and made it possible for me to, I, I feel like, make a big difference in the church. And um, so that was our thing together. You know, even though I was gone doing it, um, she she gave me her blessing to do it. You know, so that did mm. rob some time from us, but we both enjoyed watching the church flourish as much as, you know, as we could. And um, and now, you know, my son and um, my son and daughter-in-law have twin boys and um, my daughter has a boy and a girl and um, I, I plan time with them. So I go pick the twins up at their nannies three days a week and I spend an hour or two with them each time while my son and daughter-in-law are working at the bakery. And um, so I think all that, it's, it's, you have to really, you know, plan that kind of stuff. Yeah, we got into your SUV on the way over here and there's car seats in the back. Yeah, so <laughs> those mouses. are the grandkids, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which is good. Uh, what's next for Oakmont Bakery? So, I mean, we have some plans for um, a little future development. Um, we have about 110 parking spaces now and we still have issues, you know, with enough parking for employees and customers. So I'm looking at maybe expanding that a little. Um, but right now, you know, my, my plan, like I set a goal every year, my next year goal is going to be to make sure that my son has a helper who's at least as good as me so I can spend a little bit more time, you know, doing other things. <laughs> That's great, Mark. <laughs> Uh, tell us where can people find Oakmont Bakery online and where could people connect with you? Are you on social? Yep. We're on social media. We have yeah. Instagram, um, Facebook. My, my daughter-in-law does all of our social media. She's phenomenal. Yeah. It's just fun reading her posts. Um, in oakmontbakery.com, we have online ordering. We don't ship anything, but we do okay. have online ordering so people can order ahead and they get to the bakery and they pick it up in the sweet line. That's great. Oh, yeah. So you got like mobile ordering, yeah. right? Yes. Uh, awesome. Mark, this has been fantastic. Thanks so much for building into so many leaders. It's a joy. And if you're ever anywhere near Pittsburgh or Pennsylvania, period, make sure you swing by Oakmont Bakery. It's a, it's a fun place. You got to see it. And uh, hey, tell us about, because this was interesting. Uh, of course, we didn't order it for lunch, but you brought over this plate of waffles with like strawberries and bananas and chocolate drizzled on it. And I've only been in Belgium once, but I said, this is a little more like a liege waffle. Yeah. And you said... <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is a liege waffle. I'm like, you're kidding. You went to Belgium to study this yeah. stuff? Tell so, me more so about I, that. I love, I love making ethnic stuff. So, uh -huh. um, you know, we make... Every year we make punchkis, which is a Polish pastry that we... We started um, selling, the first year I made them, I read about them in Modern Baking. I made 25 of them. We sold all of them. We now sell, on our slowest days, we sell about 12 or 1,300 of them. We make them from January 6th, which is first night, until Easter. They're supposed to be more of like a, um, a, Lent, a Lenten thing that you make before um, Lent starts, really. Um, but on our busy days, we sell 5,000 of them in one day. 5,000. Yes. So we started making waffles about a year ago and we were making, you know, the typical Brussels waffle that you make out of batter, really good. We make right. banana split ones and all different things. And well, um, kind of like an ego waffle right, more than right. the real thing. Yeah. Um, but on a, on a nice high end waffle iron, you know, so I was, I was Googling waffles one day and I started seeing these, um, these Lee's waffles and, um, they're made with sugar pearls if you have never tasted one. Oh, we've had There's, one in Belgium. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So oh my goodness. Like our difference. kids were in the back seat and they're like, "Dad, I can't believe this." Yeah. And, and you can even the eat them way. cold cuz they're so good. Oh, they're they incredible. Yeah. yeah. And um 
So I was Googling them and I was showing them to my son. Next thing you know, he orders the um, the sugar pearls and in the and this is actually a dough, not a batter. So it's it's a it's a, a much more involved process. And um, we make them right now. We're making about sixty of them a day. Oh well, I'll tell you when I had it, I could tell the difference. Yeah, it's people incredible. know the difference. You, yeah, 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 yeah. If you know, you know, right? Yeah. So this is great. Oakmontbakery.com. Mark, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Carrie. Listen, if you're ever near Pittsburgh, you've got to make the trip to Oakmont, this little tiny village of 6,000, and uh, tell them you're a podcast listener. I bet, I bet you that will, uh, I don't know, get you free whipped cream or something like that. I don't know. This stuff is incredible. It is art. and it is, it is definitely worth following on Instagram. I do. So anyway, thanks so much, Mark. Hey, we are back with a fresh episode again next week. Really excited to have Christy Wright. She talks all about, it was a great interview, overcoming the fear of becoming an entrepreneur and pro tips on starting and even pricing your business. We really dive into pricing, particularly when it comes to personal services. It's going to be fascinating. So here's an excerpt from my conversation with Christy Wright. The, the reality is that fear wants to box us into a very small life. Fear establishes the limits of our life. So if you're scared of heights, you'll stay low. If you're scared of people, you'll stay alone. If you're scared of outside, you'll stay inside. And so we start to realize, wow, this is really limiting my life. I'm not going to let it do that anymore. I'm going to do it scared, whatever the thing is. Um, and after, after reps, after multiple successes, after doing it, you can feel scared from one situation and be like, you know what, but I was scared over here and I did it anyway. I'm going to do this as well. And so it really helps you develop that muscle, even if you're still scared at the time. So that's coming up next. Subscribers, you get it absolutely free. And I know I only listen to the podcasts I subscribe to. So if you're new to this, welcome. And we would love for you to subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, if you are interested in saving some money on healthcare and getting even better services to the staff you care about, listeners of this podcast have saved over $625,000 simply by going to remodelhealth.com forward slash carry. And you get a free demo of their software, quote for your organization, save a lot of money, redirect it into ministry and serve your people better. And remember, this is a special month for Ministry Grid. If you go to ministrygrid.com forward slash carry, you will get all of Ministry Grid training for your staff for $399 for the entire year, plus a copy of my latest book, Didn't See It Coming. If you haven't read it, great. If not, now you got a copy to give away or share with somebody or giveaway for Christmas. Who knows? Who knows? Anyway, all you have to do is go to ministrygrid.com forward slash carry for that. And uh, it's a limited time offer. So act now. Guys, I'm so excited we get to do this. Thank you so much. Remember next week, we'll be sharing some details on the fifth anniversary giveaway that happens in September. Got a lot of fun stuff happening on all the platforms. So thanks so much for being a partner in this. Love being able to serve. And uh, thanks for staying in touch too. All your feedback gets read, noted. And thank you for sharing this episode as well. We'll talk to you next time. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.